craft is being thrown onto everything. So it's not just beer um, battered chips, it's craft beer battered chips. Because uh, <laughs> you don't have salt and vinegar chips anymore, you've got salt and balsamic vinegar chips these days. Well, no, sorry, Himalayan sea salt. <laughs> <laughs> and balsamic. And organic balsamic. <laughs> yeah. And you can taste the difference in every chip. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt has been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner. They are proud supporters of Brews News and indirectly of this. And what is this, I hear you ask? Well, it's Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. Welcome to all our listeners and welcome in particular from our Brisbane studios. It's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Pete. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I love talking about beer over a coffee. Yeah, it, it does kind of... <laughs> If you kind of squint and tilt your head um, <laughs> and and have some raw ethanol in your mouth, you can pretend it's, you know, like a co- barrel-aged coffee stout. Or I, something I, like I, that. I've taken to calling uh, crema um, head. <laughs> a dusty foam. A d- <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, good morning. Yeah. A bit to get through, and it's fair to say that uh, the news has been ticking along. We've got a few updates for everyone, and for those who are new to Good Brews Week. The idea here is that uh, if you're a bit time poor and beer heavy, and I don't mean you drink a lot, but you know you perhaps work in the business and don't get the chance to sit down and read the uh, the beer news uh, to the same extent as to which you would like, uh, that's our job is to kind of read the headlines and uh, fill you in on what's been going on. Um, and and prof- as I like to say, we, we, we look at the news, not the noise. I like that. Have you trademarked that? Okay, I've I've got a day before this goes out. (laughs) Actually, we might even just start off with the uh, Facebook group page, the Radio Radio Brews News uh, Facebook group page, because we're increasingly getting uh, not only some great engagement and uh, proof that our listeners are really quite invested in this whole beer thing, but they're also very knowledgeable. Uh, It's not not the most active Facebook group, um, Prof. You know, we've got, it's about 300 members now, so which is a bit of a surprise when we debated about starting it. And there's obviously a lot of people who um, keep an eye on what's going on in there, but we've got some very active discussers. um, And as we've said in the past, the discussions are really, you know, informed. So we've we've got a lot of industry people, we've got a lot of people who... um, look at the industry um, providing some some good information so yeah again I, I think that's another channel where we where we have news not noise it's not you know what's in your fridge type discussions um, it's discussing the news and what matters for the beer industry so if you uh, if you do want an adjunct to this podcast just something that you can sort of touch base with uh, during the week and see what's going on uh, jump on and uh, the question, just just so we know whether you listen or not when you uh, apply, the, uh, the the question says what uh, is the keyword, and it's soapbox. Yep. So code word soapbox, and also if you if the question's still there, let us know how you found out about uh, the podcast. Uh, and look, uh, another side note on that, it's great for a couple of lazy old bastards like ourselves um, when our dear listeners find articles that they come across and then share them with us and, and with the group, because it saves us having to go through all of them. <laughs> and look, nine, nine times out of ten, you know, we've, we've already stumbled across them in, in our various, you know, subscribe feeds and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's nice when you do get one that's uh, a little bit out of the box and one which also generates quite a bit of um, discussion in its original uh, platform and then um, gets another run. Because quite often, you know, a lot of, I guess, the, the opinion 
uh, website material regarding beer um, seems to come out of the US. And it's, it, I guess it's good because we can have a look at, okay, how are we different? How are we similar? Uh, and what sort of trends are we experiencing here off the back of, you know, what's happened in the US well, I, in, I know in the previous years. that I keep an eye, a, a close eye on what's going on. And there are a couple of beer writers uh, over there because I think more than anything, they've got some of the best beer writers, um, you know, internationally at the moment. Some of the people who really are able to make a, a profession out of it. They're not part-timers who do it for enthusiasm. They are immersed in it. And it just brings a little bit of a difference to, to your approach. Um, but also America is, you know, the uh, pointy end of the pointy end, so to speak. So a lot of the trends that we see come out of there or go large there. Um, and the rest of the world, the, the, the brewing world is, and the, the consumer world is following what's going on there. So they're often the, you know, bellwether for uh, upcoming trends, but they're also the bellwether for, you know, when the industry has ructions or changes or issues come up. Um, and what we tend to follow um, to, to some extent. And it's funny too, apropos of the, our first headline that we're going to get into in just a minute, but I think one aspect of the Australian beer scene, we kind of think of ourselves as, oh, you know what, that we are very, uh, very small, this independent or uh, even the larger craft um, community. And, you know, realistically, most of the, you know, the the, the blokes, you know, the tradies in their utes and the farmers out on the land and the, you know, the, the corporates are up in their offices, they're all drinking, you know, mainstream or you know domestic or imported premium maybe uh, but they're not really sort of into craft beer and then listening to your chat with um john hottermaker and aaron geary where aaron was talking or john i think maybe was talking about you know uh, the farmers who are providing uh, a lot of the raw materials and and some of whom are um uh, shareholders in engage roads we love drinking your beer we just can't get it you know so i think we we, we sometimes underestimate our uh, just how, I, I guess, we, we often overthink it maybe and we think it's going to be too hard to get out to that 95%, but maybe it's actually easier than we thought. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting one because it, we've seen it at the exhibition, um, you know, which we've talked about, but also, you know, I was at Nambour at the Sunshine Coast Show. Um, I'm heading up to Kingaroy in late August um, for the Bacon Festival up there, uh, taking craft beer and... There's a lot of competition. Um, you, you know, the, the, the big houses are very keen to support um, all of these festivals and get beers like Iron Jack and Great Northern out there um, because there's such competition there. But there is a real demand and there is a real interest in having the sorts of craft beers that people are drinking in the city. And I, God, I remember or, the first or, or time... Or also, Matt, when people, when people realise that there's a, a craft brewery, you know, that's local to them. When, when there's a crowd, and there's not in Kingaroy yet, but I recently spoke to the local paper and you know talked to them about the you know the benefits of having a local brewery um, you know as part of the promo for it, and you know I, I think we will start seeing places like Kingaroy and Dolby and Longreach and Roma start to get you know even if it's just a little six hundred five six hundred liter brewery in the corner of the pub, they are going to start to put those beers on, and we're probably not going to see you know, breakfast stouts or, you know, milkshake IPAs um, rolling out in Mount Isa, but we are going to see locally made, um, you know, even if it's a Hellas, um, a, a great Munich Hellas or, a you know, just a nice... Um, Aussie Pale Ale. Pale Ale or Golden Ale or something along those lines. It's a step up from... You know, step up in flavour terms, not 
um, you know, if you want to drink Great Northern, go for it, son uh, and daughter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm look, just going to shut up now, Prof. Yeah, yeah, the, the other bit. <laughs> I'm going to offend somebody. Sister, <laughs> we will fight for your right to have babies. Um, speaking about America too and the trends and that sort of thing, I think America too is unique in that there are certain pockets, like our first story concerning Portland, uh, which is probably one out of the, you know, it, it's not rep necessarily replicated in every city where you have such a, a high percentage of um, of craft beer sales due to the number of craft beer bars and breweries. But um, with thanks to regular contributor Wade Curtis, um, he posted an article, have we reached peak beer? Some of Portland's foundational breweries are kicking the bucket. The death toll keeps rising. You've got Bridgeport, Burnside Brewing, Alameda Brewhouse, Widmer's North Portland Brew Pub, Portland Brewing's Northwest Pub. Uh, and the past year has not been kind to some of Portland's ale landmarks. Has Portland's craft beer bubble burst? And it was funny too, Matt, that uh, you know the, the the headline was "Have we reached peak beer?" And I think the next article posted by one of our listeners was um, the McCain's um, craft <laughs> craft beer battered fries. Well, again, you know, I think there are two different things going on. Uh, we, we've talked in the past about just because you've uh, pulled a shift at McDonald's and you've learned how to press buttons on the machine you're not barista trained. Um, but barista... You're a, you're a coffee jockey you, you, at you, best. Well, you... Or you're a machine monkey. You, 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 well, no, you're what you always were. You're a, you know, um, no disrespect to somebody who works at McDonald's, but you are a, you know, McDonald's um, uh, line You're a worker young or, kid who can now also make coffee. You're gainfully employed, exactly. But, you know, once Sorry, produce, barista, produce coffee. Once coffee became a thing, the word barista, you know, meant, you know, the flat cap vest... Um, well, somebody had done a bit of training with at least somebody with, well, sorry, who had tutored or been mentored by somebody who at least had a semblance of an, an Italian accent. <laughs> and, and, and understood, you know, the, the role that humidity plays on the size of the ground that you use and, you know, those sorts, you know, those sorts of more technical aspects. Um, yeah. Pulling uh, water through a um, bunch of grounds isn't Brister training but it became and we even see um the Brister brother, brothers you know where it used to be what was it you know the the, the tradies favorite boost chocolate uh, milk or boost chocolate oh, oak. oak um those sorts of things now we're seeing Brister brothers because that is the title that you know has marketing resonance in the marketplace um to say it, that this is it, it moves units like ipa yeah. Like, like IBA. And so, yeah, so Brista, and now we're seeing craft beer is just being, you know, craft is being thrown onto everything. So it's not just beer um, battered chips, it's craft beer battered chips. Because uh, you don't have salt and vinegar chips anymore, you've got salt and balsamic vinegar chips these days. Well, no, sorry, Himalayan sea salt. <laughs> and balsamic. <laughs> and organic balsamic. Yeah. And you can taste the difference in every chip. Um, and that's anyway. the marketing. But anyway, let, let, let's go back to Pete so Yeah. Okay, dismissing the headline for a second. Um, yes, lazy, uh, as, as I said, um, peak beer. It, it's just one of those terms that it is probably the uh, headline writing equivalent of just throwing craft beer or labelling anyone who's of a certain age as a hipster or any of those things. Peak beer, you know, it's just uh, something that to, to get you in and read it. But the story itself was quite interesting. Happy 21st birthday to ABAC. Now, this was from, uh, now, was it, I've got it up here somewhere. A drink tank, which is... It looks awfully similar. The, 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 I think the same designer who designed this designed the FAIR website, I have to say. I just assumed it was exactly the same thing. I, I think it is. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, but they've listed, yeah, 21 times uh, 
here's, here's 21 times that ABAC has been labelled a failure. And, and when we say labelled a failure, uh, not by any serious authority, but by FAIR um, or by the writer of this article, a list of 21 times that researchers, independent inquiries or government reviews found the system to be ineffective, which I thought was a bit of a, a long bow, particularly when one of the sources, one of the studies that they cited um, was that, you know, a certain percentage of uh, underage people recognised the Bundy bear as a, 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 the polar bear as, as the Bundy bear. But, and, and look, you know, Fredo, Prof, Fredo's doing more damage to under-18s than alcohol is. I know. I'll but give you the tip right now. And, and, and here's where... Don't get me gets... started on the big orange-headed clown. No. And I don't mean Trump, <laughs> I mean Ronald. <laughs> Um, but it, it, here's where it's, it, it shows their approach. You know, like we had a really great um, response to our discussion with Jane um, last week and a lot of people are cheering her on for her dry July. Um, you know, th- there was a really great... Crowd sponsored by BWS. <laughs> but there, there was a really nice um, support. And, you know, we, we do really um, question the role alcohol plays um, in terms of a whole lot of negative things. And, uh, you know, th- there is absolutely no denying that. And we don't go out and champion people to drink. We don't sell alcohol for a living, but we, we do enjoy it. And we want adults to be able to make that choice to do it. Um, but when you read anything from Fair and Drink Tank, um, even though their About Us page says we encourage, uh, it's a platform for all members of the Australian community to share their views and concerns it's not and positive experiences with drinking or positive experiences with alcohol. Um, it's pretty much um, looking at any negative, um, and they really want to see all alcohol advertising banned. They, you know, it, it's not about research and um, education. It's about slapping it down and making sure that it's hidden away as 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 a social naughty. Um, and when you look at some of these things, you know, it's 21 and then it finishes. Sadly, this list could be even longer. We could also compile a list of 21 questionable decisions by the ABAC adjudication panel, but it would be uh, difficult to narrow it down to just 21. Um, you know, it's... I, I, I just don't know that there's much more that we can say about FAIR. They are frightening, but they're also irrelevant. Um, actually, no, the, the, the frightening thing is that they're not irrelevant. They are increasingly having a um, loud voice um, with hysterical media campaigns at, at a time when all of the research shows that people are, are drinking less. So anyway, let's move on to something a little bit more interesting. Yes, let's do that, shall we? But uh, have a look at the article, and particularly um, <laughs> the uh, the author's parting Peace. Happy birthday, ABAC. We hope you enjoy reminiscing on all the times you've been found to be ineffective. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I sat down with Harry Jenkins, um, who's the chair of ABAC yesterday, um, and Harry's copped his own uh, criticism from FAIR, and it was a bit of a chat. It was, it was interesting, Prof, because on one hand, when I go into a story like that, I want to talk about the whole industry, but... On one hand, you know, Harry is the, the, the chair of the council, so he can't come out and discuss some of the social areas. He can really only talk about ABAC and its brief because he isn't a policymaker. Um, and I found it really difficult limiting my questions to um, ABAC. But at the same time, in the conversation with him, it did become very clear that ABAC isn't the panacea for all of the world's um, 
you know, alcohol-related problems. Um, it only limits itself to marketing. Um, and alcohol is a legal drink. It is a, it, you know, it, it's a legal product. It does come with a particular social responsibility that comes with it. But ABAC is really... I, I was really left with the sense um, that for all of the criticism that they are the fun police um, or that they do everything wrong, um, when from Fair's perspective, they are really trying to ensure that they reflect, that they are almost ahead of the, the, the societal norms about what is acceptable advertising, which is why they're called the fun police, because... They are out in. They are out in the lead, and they really are trying to do 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 their best. So anyway, that, that's just a bit of a teaser for next Tuesday. Yeah, looking forward to that chat. Our next headline: Growth plans in the works as Foghorn invests in wholesale. Um, so the addition of um, distribution to Foghorn Brewery's business won't change the focus on its home, says founder Sean Sherlock after rebranding the business last week. Uh, we spoke to. Where did we? Did you catch up with Sean Back during in February? I think when they yeah. So they announced late last year, Sean founded um, the brewery with a, a business partner who owned the premises and invested in, in the brewery. Um, that business partner decided to go off and do something else, which meant, you know, essentially selling the, the, the freehold and the, 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 the brewery. And Founders First uh, stepped in a, a, as a partner. It was their second acquisition after they'd invested in Jetty Road. Jetty um, Road, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, go back and have a listen to... Um, it, if you're interested, go back and have a listen to to my chat with Mark Hazeman and also Sean Sherlock. It was a um, a bookended podcast over two weeks, um, looking at the investment, but also what Founders First is. And you know, we, we've had some really good conversations this year, Prof. And last week's when we'll come to it with Gage Roads was one, but also the the one with Mark Hazeman um, was really well received particularly by the brewing industry they were really interested in the model um and you know we we've had a bit of a jaundiced eye at private equity and, and money flowing into the industry because you're never sure whether it's for the right reasons um but go back and have a listen to, to the founders first chat because it was really interesting about what their model is and you know sean can't speak more highly of their approach um since uh, since he's been involved with them yeah, and I was lucky enough to catch up with Sean on the stage at Gabs for Craft Beer College, and we had a, a really good chat uh, about how, you know, he was well aware that, you know, things are moving. Uh, he loves the fact that 98% of his beer is sort of sold out of the pub uh, or, the, you know, the, the brew pub, the venue, and, you know, a, a couple of select pubs. In, in the surrounds and then a little bit that was sort of getting out, but it was all keg, but he realised that, yeah, things were going to have to change. Um, great looking cans, I thought too. Like a nice... I, I, uh, I, I, I didn't see look. them, but it, I wonder where he went to uh, to, to, to get those cans uh, done up, Prof. Well, I would assume that he would have at least... one three hundred eight five two two three five. And what That's the one. Who would pick up that number if you dialed it, Prof? Somebody, one of our, the very helpful staff uh, from Rellings Labels and Stickers, Matt. <laughs> and they would uh, ask uh, as to how to direct your call. And whether you wanted to just do a, a, a short run of uh, sleeves that you could put on your cans and uh, have a much more efficient way of getting your small batch canning labels done. 
Beautifully done. And congratulations, Matt, this week on correctly pronouncing Relling's labels and stickers. <laughs> I've been working on it in the off-season. Mind you, you did call uh, Aaron Heary Aaron Geary, but I let that slip. Oh, I thought I said Heary. No, you said Geary. Okay. Maybe it was just my cold. <laughs> my, co- anyway. my, my cold what? Um, yeah, so well done to Sean and uh, keep an eye out for um, uh, Foghorn Cans into yes. the market. Hopefully sooner rather than later. I can't believe he didn't see the can. He was he was literally inside I, it. I was, it was joking, like a, Prof. Oh, okay, cool. Got it. Oh, as a way to, Yeah, now I see what you did there. Uh, Stomping Seems. Ground is going to open a brewery. Yeah, well, it, we already knew that. Uh, arguably they? Melbourne's they worst kept one? secret. <laughs> um, yes, so the... Yeah, hot, hot on the heels of the news that they uh, are planning to open in Moorabbin at the old um, uh, Philip Morris site there in, in Moorabbin. Um, Won't fair love that September. from cigarettes oh. to alcohol. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> At least we're keeping it in the same syntax postcode. <laughs> but yeah, stomping ground for those who have been fortunate enough to pop into Melbourne International Airport on their way to somewhere not quite as nice, uh, have been able to enjoy a beer out of a container bar um, out sort of in the forecourt of the uh, airport arrivals um, between... Terminal 2 and Terminal 3. Uh, but now with the new redevelopment that's going on inside, we learn that uh, Stomping Ground, their new brewery bar at Melbourne Airport, will be the first airport brewery in the Southern Hemisphere. It's really uh, exciting. I Now, I have to admit, I didn't get to the um, what the two-and-a-half, platform two-and-a-half or Terminal two-and-a-half, Terminal three-and-a-half mm-hmm. uh, bar, uh, given my penchant for arriving at the airport just in time to uh, get on the plane. Yes. Um, but... You know, I, I am an avid user of airport bars, and I, I always find it vaguely, not not vaguely, and, and out out and out disappointing when you've just got you could be in any airport in the world where you've got just a generic bunch of uh, lagers um, and and nothing that speaks of the city that you are flying into or flying out of, and these sorts of things are very exciting. Uh, I, I managed to get to the. Munich has a uh, airport brewery, um, as as you would expect of uh, Munich, and it, it's fantastic. Um, and you know, it, it's really exciting to see that this is happening, and knowing the the guys at Stomping Ground um, and how well they run their brewery and their hospitality uh, system, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah, because and we should point out too that yeah, uh, good point, Matt. The beer hall um, style food offering that the that stomping ground has become almost as famous as the beer fall is going to be replicated um and they're in amongst so it's it's in you've got to get through security so it's inside the the uh the security area um so but well worth you know and look in melbourne you, you want to allow a little bit of extra time you know if, if it normally would have taken you you know say 40 minutes to get to the airport just allow two hours 40 minutes <laughs> um and then just strap yourself in relax enjoy have a decent feed um and the thing is, you'll be able to get a couple of, you know, independently brewed beers before you jump on the plane, and then you can say when they bring around the uh, uh, the mega beer offerings, you can say, no thanks, I'm right, rather than saying oh, I had to drink, you know, insert AB InBev or Lion branded beer here. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with them, but it would it would just no, be but nicer. I, I, yeah, I do get a little bit. When people post, oh, I had to drink this. Well, he didn't have to. He could have said, oh, don't, do you have anything independent? No, thanks. I'll have a coffee. Make a point. Yeah, make a point. When you're at the airport, tweet. Um, yeah. that, you know, it's disappointing. And, you know, the, the, and that, that is the power of Twitter. So it's not being snarky. It's just saying, look, you know, 
I mean, Melbourne wouldn't it be great to have a you know a Melbourne beer or in Cairns uh, in in Cairns um, yeah. <laughs> uh, having a you know uh, Hemingways as I found it was incredibly disappointing in Cairns that you know you've got this big Great Northern bar. Um, no, there's no Great Northern Brewery that I could find, but there is a Great Northern bar talking about the beer from up here and nothing from the award-winning Hemingway's Brewery up there. Um, I think you'll find it's the beer for up here, Matt, now. No, 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 no. no. That, that's where you hear south of the border or north of the border. Yeah, no. So the ads, the ads have changed, haven't they? We didn't, no, we, they haven't, they haven't up here. We didn't dream that. They haven't up here. Um, they seem to have two uh, taglines. Uh, in yeah. Melbourne, it's the beer for up here. Um, I think that, but that's not about being transparent, I don't think. I think that's about not looking ridiculous because no one talks about up here in Melbourne. So yeah, that they. If you're in about Queensland, everything except everything except Tasmania's up here, from, no, up, well, from, up from here. Look, I, I don't know that that's my own interpretation of the thinking. But if you are in Queensland uh, and particularly in North Queensland, it's the beer from up here. Okay, oh there you go. And the packaging still talks about this brewery that this mythical Great Northern Brewery. Mm. Is it anywhere near the legendary brewing company? <laughs> Which coincidentally shares its office address with um, Lion headquarters. Um, what do you want to chat about? Uh, Stumpy Grouse. Well, see, here's me trying to be brief, and then <laughs> you just sort of move on. So we're, we're going to come in, people telling us, no, go longer, go longer, go longer. You know, we, we don't want people to finish their run halfway through. That's right. Or Daniel Reed could have um, two runs. If we do two short ones. He could like keep going and listen to two episodes. Well, we could just go back and talk about the news again and see if our opinions have have changed. <laughs> now, look, I don't think there's anything worth that's particularly worth uh, having a, a long and in depth, deep dive into. Do you think? Uh, no, just uh, for for those who haven't um, listened to it, had a really really good response, and I know that a lot of people listen to Bruce News Week first. And then they do go back and listen to the, the podcast. If you've got a queue of podcasts, put the Gage Roads one on. Um, because, again, I, I don't think I've ever – there's been good the, – the usual good feedback or so the, the, the usual feedback on um, the social media platforms. But I don't think I've ever received as many texts from people in the industry um, just to say, hey, really enjoy that interview. Um, so, yeah, so, so go and have a listen to it. And hopefully, look, if, if nothing else, the one thing I do hope that comes out of that is that uh, the average punter who's out there listening now knows that Woolworths does not own Gage Roads. <laughs> hopefully we can dispel that myth. Well, at least for the, you know, 1,000, 1,500 people that listen to the podcast. Tell your friends. That's it. That's <laughs> it. No, the word. That, and look, yeah, no, well done, Matt, because it, it was a really good um, chat. I'd, I'd not met John. I've met Aaron Had the... Uh, it was funny because, you know, he was talking about uh, receiving the, the award for champion Australian beer with uh, Little Dove. Mm. And as he was stepping up onto the stage, you know, his phone going off <laughs> uh, and then contacting the brewer afterwards. What are you doing? Oh, I'm brewing this. We'll, we'll stop. <laughs> Finish that up. We're going to need to get some Little Dove in the tanks. Um, and, and, and terrific, too, that uh, to learn that Little Dove was, you know, basically a, a brewer's choice, you know, a brewer's reserve beer, like, you know, give free reign to the, the brew team to come up with something. Because as Aaron said, and I think this was the, the, the best point for me in the whole interview, was we knew we could make really good quality beer. But then to let the brewers come up with the style um, and, and to produce something that was probably now, um, there are so many more examples of it out in the market that 
Australian style pale ale with a beautiful lifted hop aroma with just a little bit of uh, bite rather than a, you know an aggressive bitterness um, in a beautiful pale coloured beer. Um, and I remember you know everyone after that awards night you know flocking to the um, the the Kegstar Bar, the Silver Bullet Bar, where they were pouring the the trophy winners. And the queue for Little Dove was, you know, at the door. Yeah, I, I, well, I was one of those people. But then again, at the end of an AIBA, you probably your, your palate's probably not at the um, peak <laughs> condition um, to to really uh, enjoy a fairly nuanced beer like that. Um, and as a history buff too, Matt, the, I think probably the most surprising part of that was because I, I, I assumed that you know Little Dove was kind of, you know like maybe a, a bird species no, native to, to Fremantle. Yeah, I, look, I knew, knew as, the story. As, I, as I googled not, halfway. Not Dirk Hartog. <laughs> no, it wasn't was, Dirk Hartog. I was walking. I, I was on my walk. And I'm going. No, Matt. No, no it's not, <laughs> pretty sure it's not Dirk Hartog. Well, as I said, I was going back to grade four social studies where you sort of learn about the white settlement of the country and the, you know, William Dampier and, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Jansoon wasn't one that uh, immediately sprang to mind. No, no. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't realise that, uh, yeah, that was the genesis of the name. And, and look, worth looking up the, a little bit of the history because um, it really speaks a lot about the, um, the the pluck and determination and um, you know will to survive of uh, our early explorers, early settlers, and all that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't realise that the now I assume it was a replica uh, was just basically moored outside little creatures. No, no I, I didn't either. I have, I have to say I'd, I'd been down to Fremantle a few times, but I hadn't checked it out. But uh, I'll, I'll have to go check it out next time. Um, but. Uh, yeah, look, the whole thing about it was was fascinating. It was a bit of a um, masterclass in business, you know, tro- you know how a business has ne- negotiated 15 years of craft brewing in a rapidly changing environment, the different marketing, the different things that they've tried, the different business models. Um, you know, they've pretty much done everything but crowdfunding. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was just a really um, interesting chat. So we will probably do a sequel to it once the Atomic Brewery opens in... Uh, Sydney because we, Redfern, yeah, yeah um, it, it, it went well over the hour I'd initially been allotted and uh, John had to had to text his um, wife halfway through and say yeah, darling I won't be cooking dinner tonight as promised <laughs> um, so sorry for the marriages that I've uh, caused rifts in um, but I, I would really like to sort of talk about you know some of the a little bit more in depth about the returning to craft strategy and how that's going and, and what their future plans are, because I, I understand that yeah. there are some, you know, quite a few plans. Because because you have to wonder to what extent has uh, the Yak Ales franchise, you know, breaking off from the Matilda Bay um, stable of products, does that success influence you in saying let's take Atomic and make that rather than one of our brands, let's make it a, a brand on its own. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that they say is that Atomic had the, the Atomic Pale Ale had such a strong um, presence, loyal in, following, loyal following in Melbourne and Sydney that it made sense to to spin it off. But when you look at the strategy, I, I, I guess when you look at the strategy for the Gage Roads, you know, with Little Dove and you know the. Uh, um, stadium beers and their lighter cleaner more popular um more mainstream approaching styles when you've got something like atomic it limits you to to what you can be if it's under the same 
brand name um, because if you've got people that have, wow, I really like, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what their uh, Kolsch style uh, beer is. Uh, single fin? Single fin. Sorry, yes, yeah, single fin. Um, if you've got single fin and then oh, you move into Little Dove and go, wow, yeah, I really like that, I'll try Atomic. And then suddenly it's a, a completely distinct flavor. Um, it, it's, and particularly when they seem to be popular in different markets, it, it does seem to make sense to have a much clearer brand because that way you can build on the Atomic brand with beers that have that sort of following whilst the Gage Road's core brands uh, you know, aren't being uh, interfered with by inconsistent um, you know, beer styles. So yeah, you can actually and, focus and you can on grow, You can grow that side, of them, that side of the portfolio separately and give them their, their due respect. Uh, while still building, you know, the the secondary brand, if you like, um, in in Atomic. Absolutely. Hey, and the, the one thing that I will say, you know, like it was it was an interview that I'd wanted to chat, I'd wanted to have for a long time, and they've never really wanted to come out and talk too much about the business. Um, but because I was over there, they sort of gave me a bit of a tour. And one of the things that I was always on a real misapprehension about was I always thought that it had started bigger than it actually had. That I thought that it was because it had such a slick brand back in 2005. It had national distribution back then. It had all of these advantages um, and seemed and had a larger brand presence. I assumed that it was a big, slick, overcapitalized brewery that never quite got the volumes that they needed. When in fact it was, you know, horribly undercapitalized, uh, you know, almost from the beginning. As John said, that he pretty much funded the, the, the start of it on his credit card. They did get some investment. <laughs> um, but when you walk around the, the brewery, and I had my first tour of it, they've got, uh, <laughs> they, they've got tanks there, um, fermenters, that were from the Matilda Bay Brewery in uh, Fremantle, um, that when... CUB decommissioned the brewery. They cut the tops and the bottoms off these tanks, and these guys bought them. It cost them more to transport them from the field they were sitting in to the to the brewery than it did to actually buy the tanks. And then they just sort of figured, oh look, you know, their 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 tanks will just sort of weld some tops and some bottoms on. Um, and all of their early tanks were basically salvaged from other breweries. Um, and and that was that. That was quite eye opening for me because I never had the feeling about the brand that they were cobbling it together, but on a much bigger scale than the average garage brewery. Um, and yeah, so so that was that was it, it, you know all credit to them for 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 surviving and doing what they've done because it's been it's been quite the ride. Yeah, and look, in this day and age, anyone who can survive, particularly in this era of of, of such broad competition and still a fairly uh, immature market in terms of craft beer drinkers coming into the the scene, um, to survive fifteen years is uh, is not to be scoffed at. And did did you read the article that uh, Claire posted? Uh, we've done a, a little bit of a look at, but there's been a number of. Uh, um, investment managers who have become significant shareholders i think you know there are two of them that have recently taken a you know 10 to 15 percent stake in in the brewery so there seems to be some you know small cap investors certainly uh, have some confidence in 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 the growth plans of the brewery so i thought that's quite interesting yeah and nice too the people who are um, contributing to you know industry superannuation funds um good on you because you're helping to support gauge roads as well Absolutely. 
But did it, did it, did it, uh, this just across my desk, Matt, we've got a brew update. Uh, <laughs> old mate in the um, Brew Minority Shareholders Facebook page has, uh, <laughs> has posted, he's running the company like it's a private company, but it's a public company. Someone tell ASIC. <laughs> Well, what's you, going on? What is going on with Brew? You could say the same thing about, uh, you know, to be fair, you could say the same thing about Brewdog, despite their promises of, uh, you know, what is it, uh, radical, radical transparency. transparency. Um, they, I, I didn't want to sort of go into them, but, you know, they uh, they don't put a lot of information out. Um, they do the bare minimum um, that's required for a, a, a company in, in, in the UK. So, you know, Brew, Brewdog. Um, oh, I just oh, oh. the Scottish brewery. The, the, the so, Scottish brewery. Should we perhaps call it the Mildura Brewery, or is it the Ballarat Brewery of Excellence, or is it the, <laughs> the, the greenest, the, the world's greenest brewery? <laughs> anyway, anyway, mailbag. Old friend, uh, old and dear friend of the program, Frozen Summers, Dan Summers. I've noticed over the past few weeks that some brewers aren't putting beer anywhere on the label. Beer in inverted commas he uses, just describing it as. Uh, inverted commas, whatever and whatever milkshake. No mention of Nipah, Ale, Stout or any other beer identifying descriptor either. That's an interesting one. I don't, don't think I've noticed that. So it's... Yeah, I didn't So quite. putting like, like pineapple milkshake IPA but not beer. But they're the not saying actual... beer, like they're not sort of saying beer on it, they're not saying product, IPA. Product of... Um, oh, they're just okay, yeah. saying milkshake, and and I guess that's because you know, what, I don't know is that a you know acknowledgement that um, milkshake IPAs aren't actually an IPA; they're a, they're just a, a, a thing. Um, you know, they're, they're just a, a, a new style, or is it just because yeah, well, yeah, if you called it fruity lactose beer, would would you sell as much as if you called it a milkshake IPA? Yeah, um, possibly. Yeah, I don't. Mate, I, I, I don't know. I hadn't actually noticed it. But um, one of the things that did uh, come up when I was speaking to Harry Jenkins was, you know, th- there is a focus on... Well, we didn't talk about any individual cases, but um, the Cheeky Monkey one, I think, came up um, talking about the difference in colours. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it it did occur to me while, while we were talking that the vernacular... The design vernacular, you know, the the just standard design tropes that designers use to convey beer, have drastically changed over the last thirty years. You know, um, beer bottles, even at the start of craft beer, they pretty much had the the label, and it was like a uh, like a, a a trophy shape or a diamond shape or a chevron, know, yep. yeah, that had or a beer rond- around a rondelle. It. Um, you know, pretty much like I'm looking at uh, the, the the brew label now. Pretty much that sort of thing. You know, it was a, a an oval with a um, you know elongated rectangle across the middle um, with a bit of a um, that was once the standard design for for beer. And it occurred to me that back in the uh, 1980s 90s, when suddenly solo became the man's drink. Do you remember when there was you know the the, the solo light on the fist so you can crush it down fast. That's the one, but it was you know unlike soft drinks which were for kids, this was a sweet lemon soft drink, but it was a sweet lemon drink for men. Um, they the design was probably closer to a beer can than a than a soft drink can. I, I think to you know the the, the colours and the, the the design to lure men into drinking soft drink, um, which is almost the reverse that we're seeing now, where 
brewers are um, now trying to broaden the appeal and make it less masculine and make it more design and uh, appeal to a different audience, which is why I, I think brewers are now starting to crash up against ABAC because some of the designs are calling to mind soft drink. Um, and you know, I, I think that might be uh, an interesting design panel to, to convene to talk about uh, for, for a podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because just all of a sudden I've got a couple, and Beatnik is one that, that jumps to mind with that, uh, like a striking, um, uh, you know, like icon rather than a, I don't, I don't know what the, the design terms are, but without, rather than a picture, you've got like a detour, same thing, you know, sort of the arrow yep. motif, that sort of thing, which which uh, I guess implies, you know, direction and stability and, I don't know, um, you know, moving forward or whatever the, the things are. Um, yeah. Very interesting. And, and I think, too, you, you touched on a really good point. It's very different. You used to have a very small amount of real estate to get your message across when you had um, a, a rondelle or a, a circle um, label and then maybe a neck tag. But remember, too, for the, the smaller brewers, each of those, you know, to put a, a front tag, a back tag and a neck label was, you know, three separate parts of the machinery in your, um, your canning line or your, your bottling line. Things have certainly changed now with cans. There's much more real estate to tell your story. Um, at Mornington Peninsula Brewery with their like their comic art or uh, or Stomping Ground with their their Comic Con ones where you've actually got like a wraparound, a little mini story within the within the beer can. It really has changed the way that we can um, decorate our product, and so it's it's opened it up to a, a whole new audience. I think. But, and that's something that I don't recall any articles looking at, but it was something that, you know, we've seen a lot of articles looking at the artworks of cans and the, um, the canvas that cans provide over bottles. But the, vernac- the design vernacular, and, you know, like a vernacular is, you know, those, um, those, those words or the language spoken within a region, um, you know, or, or like in a country that have a particular meaning in that space. Um, I, I'd imagine that design vernacular is, is the same sort of thing. There are certain things that are used on different packaging that convey this is chocolate or this is ice cream or this is you know beer um, or this is soft drink and that we're now starting to see a real change in what the design vernacular of, of beer is. Um, and one of the biggest moves forward was, for, for me, the Bolter can that has... Been a, and it, it, it in turn was iterating some other designs, but did it in a fairly distinctive way. But now we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, that strip across the, like a single colour with some design elements, and then a strip, a, a coloured strip across the bottom, or some of those things seem to be coming the vernacular. So yeah, that would a bit, probably a be bit like the nineteen seventies VB cans, Matt. A little bit like the nineteen seventies VB cans. <laughs> Everything exactly. old is new again. And hello to Sam Fulson. Matt, if you stand still for long up. enough, the world passes by. <laughs> If you wear those flares long enough, Matt, they'll come back into fashion. <laughs> and they did, Prof, and they did. Uh, Matt, you have got uh, a letter that you received personally. Yeah, and, and so I, I didn't get back and ask whether they wanted to be identified. So I'll, I'll just read the message out, but then, yeah, and sort of leave it. Um, was listening to Good For Your Health, um, which was the podcast two weeks ago, I think. Um, yes. Because uh, last week was Inception. On the drive up to darker days last weekend and meant to message with what I'm finding out is not so common perspective. Uh, I think talking about the perspective that we shared. 
as I was listening to you guys uh, chat about the obvious minefield of working in the industry and trying to limit alcohol in intake, it reminded me of a conversation I seem to have a lot with other brewers um, at his business. Most take the free knockoff on most weekdays and along with staff beer, etc. you find yourself surrounded by free beer every day. And I don't know if it's generational or if I'm just weird, but I've had maybe three knockoffs this month and my staff slab pile is building up at home to the point where I need to start taking inventory. I think sometimes a lot of brewers and people in the industry almost feel bad for not having a knockoff or not tasting every other day and it kind of worries me. Of course, you have to keep up with tasting and making sure that you have a well-trained century, uh, your palate century-wise, but past that, it seems to get excessive and nearly exhausting, haha. Don't get me wrong, I'm always up to it for a good session on a weekend, but no part of me feels a desire to have a pint at 2pm on a Wednesday or 10pm on a Tuesday. I've seen a lot of people's accounts, um, Jane included, of weight loss, feeling terrible, feeling great, losing uh, resting heart rate, uh, BPM, etc. And by any measure, that's our body's attempt to recovering from addiction. Yet in our industry, it seems so normalized and accepted as part of the gig. The funny thing you also touched on is alternatives during dry July. Everyone seems hell-bent on finding something to replace a beer with. And all I can think of is that surely some bloody H2O wouldn't kill anybody. <laughs> that's and, and that's my view. Either way, I thought I'd throw that perspective your way. Um, and I by no means consider myself a shining beacon in treating my body well, and I don't want to put myself in on any form of pedestal, whatever. I think it's a really interesting topic and one that ties into a whole range of issues around mental health and the cocktail, for lack of a better word, of alcohol workload, sociability, and loving a product we make. And that is, you know, what, what a great... Um, uh, love, love the podcast as always, he said. Um, and, and, and that pretty much sums it up, Prof. You know, like we, we work in an industry where you have to just have to drink as, as part of your duties on so many occasions. Admittedly, it, it tends to be tasting. But we also work in the industry because we love the product that, not that, we, that you and I make, but that we talk about. And so many occasions involve drinking, so many work occasions involve drinking, that when you come home, the time that you are conditioned to actually, if you didn't work in the industry, to have one, you know, when you're making dinner, suddenly becomes yet another as opposed to having one. Um, and, and it does have a, a lot of issues. Um, yep, yeah, yep. And look, but, look, it's the same with anything else. If you're working in any kind of industry where, you know, stand-up desks now are, are all the rage. You know, people are adjusting to, okay, well, you know, perhaps it's not quite so good to be sitting at a desk for extended periods so you know whether it's looking after your back or your muscles or you know rsi or eye strain or blue screen all those sorts of things um i guess we need to look at it in a very similar way to say okay this is part of um it's part of my enjoyment of the of the job uh but it also you know does have its its risks and you just need to uh, mitigate those risks, and, and, and it, it's something that I've had a couple of conversations with. Um, we, we've done pretty well of uh, considering we're worried about not making time, Prof. We've done pretty well of uh, filling up, haven't we? Um, it, it's a couple of conversations I've had offline uh, around recording some of the chats we've done recently um, with with people in the industry and looking at, you know anyone who goes down for the week of Good Beer Week, and it's such an awesome festival. It's an amazing, and brewers have to be there. They want to be there. But it takes its toll on... It it, it takes its toll on on, on your well-being, um, maybe temporarily. Um, And there's always been a little bit of a... uh, 
you know, I survived good beer week mentality as if it's, you know, fist pumps in the air and it's awesome. But all of this um, idea of looking after ourselves and being mindful of the industry that we work in and mental health, um, you know, we are moving away from that. You know, I conquered good beer week to how do we negotiate it in a way that's healthy? And when you add good beer week to all of the other uh, beer weeks that brewers feel the need to be part of all of the beer dinners all of the tastings all of the social events there's a fairly r- hectic program of of drinking and i, I again it, all i can do is point that out as a, as a thing and not offer any solutions because i don't know what the way around it is other than the industry being aware yeah, yep. And most importantly, um, our letter writer finished with, love the podcast as always. I did throw that in, sorry. Exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to let you read the next one because um, the battery in my mouse just died. <laughs> so, so I'm really, I'm really struggling. Uh, Wayne from Canberra um, sent an email or sent a message. Uh, he shared a link to um, his uh, selection of his beer label collection and i have to say i thought twice um before i thought twice before clicking on it because it looked like one of those dodgy emails that you get where you click and suddenly your computer is uh well, particularly up since the, the keyword was wombat hole yeah well well it was yes that was pju.wombathole.com um we we put a link in it but it was his um beer labels so he's keeping obviously a diary of beer labels beer tours um and it's a fairly impressive uh selection of beer labels um and as he makes a point that his um his motto is must be uh, must be consumed i can assure you it was pretty hard times so uh yes wayne all i can say is maybe go back (laughs) rewind and think back don't feel you have to do that all the time (laughs) but we're glad that he did and that he shared it with us and uh, therefore, with you, our listeners, uh, did we make mention last week about like the old style a, letter writing? A couple writing? of weeks ago, we made Snow mention. Up. Two weeks ago, <laughs> we, we we made mention um, that yeah, wouldn't it be nice to get a letter? Um, I'm, am- I'm amazed at what some of you blokes will do for a free beer. Because uh, I think did, did I promise? Like if somebody sent us in a snail mail, we'd send them a, a six pack, guaranteed. Uh, well, well, it's 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 it is definitely the letter of the week. <laughs> it would definitely um, be letter of the week because we won't send the letter of the week to our industry person because it sounds like uh, they have enough uh, beer <laughs> stockpiling, <laughs> stockpiled yeah. already. Um, but you will get the bar blade. But yes, no, I, I went to the mailbox yesterday and got a a letter. Um, Nick got got chalk. Please correct us uh, if we're wrong. Um, love the show ever since my girlfriend and I, my girlfriend found it for us to listen to in the car whilst driving around Scotland back in April. Uh, now, I'd, again, in, in those things that you sort of go, gee, that's a, just a, inadvertently just a really, really nice thing to say that his, his girlfriend got him uh, onto the podcast. Um, yeah. I, I just thought that was a nice little thing. Just a quick question. I'm a hospitality, I'm a, I'm a hospitality at a local pub in Kew, sporting both line and Asahi contracts, so taps, uh, so the taps are, but I try to keep it at the bottle and can range crafty. And was wondering what beer brewing courses you can recommend that would both increase my knowledge and look good on my resume. I've already done Cicerone certified beer server. Keep up the good work. Um, he makes a good point there, Prof, because we've we've got ourselves in trouble previously for saying that neither of us particularly, um, you know, feel any obligation to have the, the Cicerone certification. 
but there is there does seem to be a certain as with a lot of qualifications it is a external mark that you can point to um, that you can put on your resume and say I'm certified it means that you've 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 jumped through the hoops um, and yep. I don't yep. necessarily know that makes you strictly more employable or anything like that but Nick does ask you know what will look good on my resume and Cicerone absolutely would um, there's not there's not a lot other than you know formal IBD or you know brewing technical brewing qualifications that are sort of available but the thing that jumped to mind when I read the letter from Nick was um, something like uh, Ale Stars or uh, the the really good craft hotels and pubs and, and venues, brew pubs, whatever, that have a – whether it's a tap takeover or a meet the brewer or some kind of tasting uh, because I just think you'll learn so much about both um, the technical and the link between technical and tradition, uh, so the beer style side of things and, and beer's stories, if you like, from chatting to other like-minded punters and, and brewers. That's it for me, and you know. <laughs> if you're in Brisbane, of course, I would recommend uh, Beer Book Club. Well, that yeah, and that's my little tastings. If you are in Brisbane and you want to sort of uh, actually see, that's that's the great thing about Beer Book Club um, that, that I, you know, if I could say that about my own thing, or when you look at some of the discussions that take place on Facebook groups, you get a group think. Um, that goes on, this is a great beer, this is a shit beer, this is a great brand, this is a shit brand. Um, and you, you can't help but be persuaded by that to, to some extent. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I really think uh, you, you can educate yourself by through blind tasting. Um, and... You know, if you can sort of get get a group of people together and just arrange it so you can sort of do one day do pilsners, and just make some notes and 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 come up with your own, and even do some of the fault testing training um, that, that comes through the the, the Cicerone where you can you know buy the little kits that will put the faults in in the beer, so you can just start educating. Yeah, a little your dosing palate. dosing pack. Yeah, yeah. And, or, and or look, if, if you if you if you're friends with uh, you know with a local brewery, they'll often do um, uh, sensory training for their staff. Um, I've been lucky enough to be invited along to a couple of those, and it's a really great opportunity uh, to see the way that um, a brewery sees their own brands, um, yep. what what they do to ensure that their staff knowledge is is up to date. And obviously, you know, some of the the, the better breweries do that really, really well uh, and consistently. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably a great opportunity. Something like you know the the crafty pint. Uh, blind tastings. If you yep. if you get a chance to see one of those, you know, come up often during Good Beer Week or or you know a, another sort of event, um, that's a great opportunity too to to learn. None of these things, you know, you can really kind of put on your resume, I guess. But at the end of the day, you can actually prove that knowledge given the opportunity, um, you know, with a five minute chat. Anyway, yeah, and, it, well, and there are some people where when you said go along to breweries and. Uh, male stars and things like that there are some if you ever get the opportunity to go to a tasting with someone like scott hargraves uh or brad rogers or ian watson um uh, who, who are some great palates just brewers that you would just always listen to you know and and always oh um, brendan virus ben, brendan virus ben of course Krause. absolutely um derek hales has got a great palate okay and, and a really good way of explaining or, you know, sort of uh, uh, illustrating, you know, uh, you know, word pictures. 
There are plenty of them, most of them, I would think. Yeah. Uh, John Selton. John Selton, absolutely. So Yeah, particularly for that for that technical thing and and cuz it's great too when you can say, "Okay, yeah, I get that. I taste that, but what's what causes it?" And for somebody to be able to say, well, there's, you know, two or three different ways it can happen. It's either this, 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 or this. And you go, oh, okay, yep, I get how that, you know, you don't have to be a scientist, but it, it just does make it, make a little bit more sense. Anyway, Matt, we must keep moving along because we're starting to waffle, aren't we? Oh, no, um, well, but we, what I didn't point as out as was always, that... I think there was some interesting content in that, so... Uh, exactly. But we are all, coming up to an hour. All letter writers will receive a Bruce News bottle opener, as Matt said, and uh, all of them will go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack. Thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, who sponsored the Letter of the Week and who have just released the 2019 Craft Beer Survey. Oh, just one thing before we move on. Now, Nick, thank you very much for sending the letter and really, really appreciate it and going to the effort. An, an actual letter. Um, an, an actual letter. Um, it, it was typed. <laughs> it was typed. Handwritten. I, 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 I might have gone, gone premium six-pack. I think you'll probably just get, you know, standard. No, he'll get the six-pack, and I'm also going to sort of go through <laughs> and get some of the brewery swag that I've uh, collected um, and add, add a little bit of a bonus to, to the uh, bottle opener because um, we get a lot of swag, and it's just cluttering oh, yeah. up my uh, room, so we'll send that. But if somebody comes up with a handwritten letter, um, <laughs> that's, that, that will even sort of surpass Nick. I'm sure it was nice of you to receive a letter. Walking out to the mailbox was, was you know, old mate, the postman there, I'll have a letter for you, Mr. Kirkegaard. <laughs> no, I went down to the post box. Thank you, Posty. Oh, okay, cool. And it, Which was nice because generally the only uh, mail you get is bills, so it was nice to get something that was uh, exactly. so positive. Exactly. Uh, thanks again for listening uh, and for contributing, for being knowledgeable and for being engaging on all of the various platforms. All right, and, and speaking of that, um, thank you very much uh, for the uh, Shire Rubenstein podcast this week. Uh, again, it, it, it's it's always nice uh, when one of us, well, well, for me, I'm speaking for myself here, but it's always <laughs> nice when you've gone off and done an interview that I've not been part of. And then I get to sit down and listen to you uh, hold the conversations because I don't always get to get to your um, presentations at Gabs because I'm otherwise occupied and things. And I, I love listening to to your interviews and it really breaks up uh, the monotony of my own interviews. So uh, And it was great, really great inter- interview. So if you haven't listened, go and listen to the Shire Rubenstein interview uh, from Urban Alley Brewing. Yeah, and as I say, it's just got so many, it ticks so many boxes, just the, the, the physical layout. We're actually going out there this afternoon uh, to to that area, so I might just pop in and, and grab some photos and then add them in the in the comments, um, because just to see where the where the canning line comes in, they basically have to move eight or ten tables from the restaurant um, to put the to roll the canning line in. Uh, so it's a, it's a real effort to to get the the stuff out. And Shia was nice enough to supply me with a, a couple of samples on my way out. Um, and the the cans taste fresh as the really really good quality so uh yeah uh, good for a listen thank you very much again to all of our loyal listeners thank you very much to you matt thank you prof have a good week uh you too and uh gee we're getting into the deep into july so it won't be long till you're up here uh staying at bruce news hq 35 days until the echo i saw the the launch video on youtube popped up yesterday there you go looking forward to it <laughs> No worries. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, Drink well, drink fresh, drink local, and we'll see you all again for the next episode. And we're out.
Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 